On this episode of Go Check Yourself, we're talking Season 5, Episode 5, Truck versus the Hack-Off. That's right. And to celebrate, we're having a hack-off of our very own. All right. Uh, uh, oh, Aaron, I, I just cut my foot off. I now dare you to hack off your entire leg. Uh... <laughs> I thought when you uh, when you coughed that it was going to be like a <laughs> hack off, you know? Uh, no, that would have been a much easier and safer <laughs> bit for me to do. But instead, I cut wow, off my right foot. Yeah. So are you going to cut off your leg or am I just I'm going gonna, to? I'm going to declare you the winner, actually. Listening to Go Chuck Yourself. Don't worry, listener, I did not actually cut my own foot off. That was just a little bit of lighthearted fun that we have. We do have fun here at Go Chuck Yourself. Hello, my name is Chris Gillespie. I'm Aaron Arata, and uh, where is all that blood coming from if you didn't actually cut off your foot? That is unrelated. Uh, (laughs) Don't worry about it. It's fine. I will not. It's fine. But we do have to do this episode very quickly for unspecified reasons. All but right, once again, don't worry about that. <laughs> we have fun here. <sighs> yes, that's right. Um, we are talking about Chuck versus the hack off today. And um, but before we do that, Aaron, you recently uh, you recently went to the the theaters, the cinema, if you will. <laughs> Yeah, mm-hmm. for a, a feature, a full length feature theatrical oh, it, presentation. It was it was very full length. I will say I um, <laughs> I have I have an alarm that goes off on my phone every night at seven. The movie started at four and I thought, oh, I won't turn off the alarm because it could po- not possibly take that long to watch this film. Um, and it, I blew past that mark. So that was my own fault. I didn't look at how long it was, but I assumed it would not be over three hours. I guess you could say that you really had no time to turn off your alarm. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. Um, yes, yes, listeners, I saw the new James Bond film, No Time to Die. Um, he's back. J- Jim, Jim, our, our friend Jim is back. He's he's drinking his vodka martinis. He's driving in his car. He does say Bond, James Bond, just the once, though. It's not they don't overdo it. It's very tasteful. You got all your friends. You got uh, you got Blofeld. You got Q. You got M. You, you don't have uh, the, the cat was not in it, unfortunately. I thought the cat would be in it. Aaron has rewatched some of the Daniel Craig, James Bond movies uh, recently. So these are all apparently fresh in her mind. I have not seen them in a very long time, so I'm thoroughly confused. But I guess I was actually saying that that we are probably the ideal. I mean, probably not the ideal because I was able to pick out um, inaccuracies and plot holes a lot more easier than Mm -hmm. someone who um, would have watched it like three years ago or whenever the last one came out. but yeah, I I just watched them all in a row, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, bond a bond every night. Um, so everything was fresh in my mind. And uh yeah, that's so we thought we would play a little game here where I'm gonna name some scenarios and Chris is gonna guess if they are from Chuck seasons one through five, the whole the whole Chuck averse, or James Bond, No Time to Die, specifically. Okay. I have, I have not seen the movie. Listen, yes, that's, that's to be clear. Right. Right. I have not seen it. Um, but, okay, so maybe there's overlap between this and Chuck. Let's see. Maybe, Aaron. maybe not. Okay, let's find All out. Right. So, what do you got, Aaron? Um, a character must swallow their pride and visit an imprisoned criminal mastermind in order to find a more dangerous threat. All right. Well, that's obviously, you're talking about Chuck here because they're... That's like a Volokhov reference. So I'm going to say Chuck on that one. Chris, it is both. 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 Yep. He's got to he's got to talk to uh, Blofeld played by uh, Christoph Waltz. Ah, OK. I, I I did not remember when you said Blofeld as the first character when you said all our friends are here. <laughs> I was like, 
James Bond has a friend named Blow. No, well, I would not say he's a friend. He's he's oh. more like a brother, in fact. What? That's <laughs> <laughs> you'll watch that... all the James Bonds. You'll know. You'll know. Everybody who knows James Bond pretty well is is just laughing and laughing here. Okay. <laughs> all right. Number two. A character's love interest is targeted by a weapon attuned to their specific DNA using a deadly formula created by a Russian weapons expert. All right. Well, that's obviously Chuck, because that you just once again described Volkov and the Norseman. Uh, no, no, Chris, it is what? both. Once again. I didn't, So both is an option. I thought it was both, either or, yeah, but both there's is, both. both is an option. OK, fine. Um. So they did. All right. So did the writers of this movie just watch season four of Chuck and were like, yeah, we could do this. This is we could. This sounds fine. Well, actually, I am. I'm reading here um, that uh, Phoebe Waller Bridges is actually not a real person. And it's just a pen name used by Chris Fedek and Josh Schwartz. So she, she wrote that, the James Bond movie. I, I think so. Wow. I mean, I've, I don't know. I think there were other writers involved, but huh. I think I think she wrote it. Well, okay, I got to check so I don't sound like a idiot no that sounds legit i guess of course billy eilish wrote the hit song oh that would have been a good one if i said billy eilish which one has a billy eilish song i mean billy eilish like wasn't alive when chuck was airing so um I don't think last- that's true <laughs> last one a character struggles to leave the spy life behind for newfound love and ultimately decides against doing so all right well my gut is telling me that this is a chuck one However, since the past two questions or ideas, plots or what have you have been both, I'm going to say that that happens both in Chuck and in the new James Bond. Ding, ding, ding. Wow. Yay. <laughs> you got one right. Congratulations. Lots of overlap. Yeah, lots of overlap. Um, so No Time to Die, uh, Go Chuck Yourself is brought to you by Ian Fleming's James Bond 007 No Time to Die in theaters now. Uh, go see it if you want to, or you can just watch Chuck and it's basically the same thing. I was going to say, it sounds like if you like Chuck, then you will really like this movie because it kind of sounds like a theatrical adaptation of Chuck. Yeah, yeah, that's, we've been, we've been wanting the Chuck movie. But in but now we have it. It's just like the the character is named James instead of Charles. So do you think Charles you, Charles Carmichael? Your deep dive into all things Chuck better prepared you for a James Bond movie. Like you were able to appreciate or identify these tropes, or like does this now change your perception of Chuck having gone and been like, wait a second, that this is how they actually do these things in the real version. Chuck is just an homage I, to this. I would definitely say the uh, the first one. I think that um, it's it's weird coming at it. We've been talking a lot because um, Chris read Dune recently, as we mentioned. I think it's season four, and I am now reading Dune. It's weird to see sort of like the ur text of something when your knowledge is all based on something inspired by the ur text. So, like, I have been watching Chuck. And that's how I know a lot of my spy tropes from. But then like watching James Bond, I'm like, oh, well, this is the thing that inspired those things. But it's kind of like this weird thing because I'm like, oh, Chuck is being ripped off by No Time to Die. But actually, like, No Time to Die is, um, I mean, No Time to Die came out after Chuck, obviously. But like James Bond came out well before Chuck. And I'm sure like Schwartz and Fedak would admit to cribbing that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, or a lot of it. So, yeah, I th- I think it's like, it's interesting, especially since we um, were so harsh on the Norsemen as mm-hmm. a as a device. And then this like billion dollar blockbuster uses like basically the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm interested to see what other Chuck fans or what people who have no knowledge of Chuck think about that as a... Uh, as a plot device and whether they think that's big and scary or whether they think it's as stupid. And if the fact that like James Bond is James Bond and has a much bigger budget and bigger stars and everything, like no offense to Joshua Gomez and um, Zachary Levi, but uh, Daniel Craig is probably a bigger star. Maybe if that lends a sort of credibility that Chuck doesn't have as like an action comedy on Friday nights on NBC. That's right. And it is in the, 
the Friday night death slot. Yep. As we have said every episode, Friday night death slot. Before it was in the glorious Monday night primetime. <laughs> now it's in the Friday night death slot. Um, just like I'm sure this podcast is for you. You're probably <laughs> listening to this. This episode is going to be released at eight o'clock on a Friday night. And everyone's going to download and listen to it right away because that's when everyone's listening to podcasts. So moving into now that we uh, we have an understanding of how Chuck and James Bond interact, let us now uh, develop our appreciation for how Chuck uses spy tropes. I don't know why I'm talking so formally. I'm just like, <laughs> I'm just, I guess I'm just like tired and I'm compensating for that by trying to sound more official. I don't yeah, really know. Uh, our last episode, <laughs> I was tired because I had been to the club. And now this right. episode, you are tired because you have been traveling. Right. Although you have also been traveling even more significantly than I have been, and you don't seem tired at all. Well, I've, I've been home. I, I slept for like 14 hours yesterday. I okay. woke up, went to see James Bond, came home, went back to sleep. So I'm I'm rested today. More like no time to be awake. Am I right? <laughs> yep, you're right. <laughs> all right. I'm going to do like three more of those jokes as we talk about Good. Chuck versus all right. the Hack I'm looking off, forward so to it. Get ready. You may remember from the previous episode that Casey and Lester have both been arrested, and that's all you need to know, because uh, if it's good enough for Chuck's recap, it's good enough for us. We start in a prison visitor's room where Chuck and Sarah are visiting with Casey. Chuck has brought a tiny, palm-sized map of the prison with him, but Casey refuses to take it, saying he won't risk an escape, and besides, it's more prudent to spend their resources figuring out why Decker wants Casey off the map in the first place. I said that all without taking a breath, and it was very hard. Meanwhile, at the next table, Morgan is playing mediator between Lester and Jeff. Morgan says that Jeff is willing to drop all charges if Lester promises not to poison him anymore. Lester refuses and heads back into prison, dragging Casey with him. Once they're back outside, Chuck admits that he feels guilty for starting Carmichael Industries when it led to Casey's imprisonment. Sarah tries to comfort him, but they're interrupted when they're both shot with blow darts. Oh no. They come to and learn that Decker has kidnapped them. Ironically, he needs their help. Chuck is the best hacker the CIA ever had, which is like actually kind of sad when you think about it. Uh, <laughs> so in exchange for Chuck finding and defeating a megavirus called the Omen, Decker will let Casey out of prison. If they don't help, however, Decker has people on the inside who can make Casey's life hell. This seems to be the case because we cut back to prison and everyone there seems to want to fight Casey. Fortunately for him, someone else is in prison to make his life not hell, but dare I say, heaven? That's right, folks. A guard grabs Casey out of the fray and drags him into what's either a supply closet or some kind of med bay. Uh, and that guard is actually not a guard at all, but it's Gertrude Verbansky. Great to see her. They trade in some prison-based innuendo stuff, and then they end up making sweet, sweet love. And honestly, I just find them delightful. Every time they're together on screen, I just turn into a 12-year-old girl again. They seem to be able to um, have sex with all of their clothes on from my doesn't really seem like they took their clothes off at all. In my it's, understanding of it. <laughs> uh, well, um, Chris, I, I need to talk to you about some things after after this. They they did just leave their clothes on. Oh, my God. Oh, what's going on? I'm just so confused. You take your clothes off. That's insane. <laughs> <laughs> we have fun here. <laughs> I can't so, imagine if, <laughs> if if the norm was that people were leaving their clothes on and then hypothetically someone was taking their clothes off to do it, then it, that would be that would that just be sounds weird. like a movie. <laughs> a very a very thin fussy premise for a movie. What would it be? Just like the guy's like, well, I've been taking my clothes off for this. And everyone's like, we leave our clothes. And then like, does he help them? also take their clothes off like what well it's actually i i wish we could transition directly from that into the nudist colony but we've, we've oh, got yeah, a little bit of true. time to go i thought you were gonna say actually that's actually one of the key <laughs> plots in no time to die <laughs> james bond <laughs> finds out he's the only man who takes his clothes off to make love i mean james bond is a great lover that is one of the things about james bond um so if if he's doing the way whatever way he's doing it is the way that we all should be doing it i think <laughs> you know he's he's got sometimes when his clothes are on sometimes yeah. when they're off so you know whatever i okay i would like to just specify that it just looks like because they 
like their clothes, their wardrobe from like a technical aspect does not really seem like it's changed or like ruffled or anything. Like they allegedly start doing their thing. And then do we cut to the credits or we cut to something else? But then when we cut back, they're done already, which no judgment, but like they don't really seem their, their wardrobe does not, has not changed, which not like they they need to change drastically they're for just, the show. They're, they're very, okay. So two things, Chris needs anybody who's <laughs> yeah. just had sex on screen or off screen. If it doesn't pan to curtains, he needs their clothing to be rumpled or like the sheets to be rumpled. He needs the woman to have the sheet wrapped around herself in that way for him to understand that there has been sex. I Yes, I need her to be smoking a cigarette as well. Yeah. One or both characters must be smoking a cigarette okay. for me to understand that sex has taken place. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I thought you were going to say Chris needs some Chris needs anyone who's had sex to write in right now. <laughs> I was trying to remember if it was implied that Chuck had been a virgin when he and Sarah got together. And then I decided that that was not implied because he had dated Jill. Um, But that's fine. That's nice. Um, So in the afterglow, because they have indeed had sex, Casey asked Verbansky to keep an eye on Chuck and Sarah. Verbansky isn't really into this, but she says yes. As she's leaving, Casey does, like, the most little, like, kind of like a bashful grimace, which is something that I really haven't ever seen Adam Baldwin do before, and it was adorable. I don't, did, did you, like, did you clock what I'm talking about? I think so, yeah. It was just the cutest little face. They're, they're so cute together. So back in Castle, Chuck is upset because they're beholden to Decker. This isn't why he created his own spy business to do. Sarah assures him they're doing everything they're doing for Casey. Chuck concedes and settles into what he and Morgan call the routine, which involves Chuck hacking while drinking Chardonnay, which he calls thinking juice. Morgan, who is also there, notes that Chuck used to be known as the Piranha, and the movie Swordfish is based on him. Chuck uses his crazy hacking skills to figure out that the Omen was created by someone named Colin Davis. He finds out that Colin Davis has gone off the grid, but his trail leads to some sort of mysterious, possibly military compound. As all this is happening, Morgan tries to head up to the Bymore, but runs into Verbansky in the castle elevator. She threatens him with gun violence, so he'll bring her to Chuck and Sarah, which he eventually does. And then she says that she's there to go on their mission with them as a sniper. She says... You want your partner back, and I hate to see the competition struggle like this, which is cute, because she's she also obviously wants her partner back, her sexual partner. In the prison cafeteria, one of the men who was trying to fight Casey earlier tries to get Casey to join his prison gang. Casey says he'll think about it, but his thinking is interrupted by Lester, who makes a reference to caged heat. That made me kind of laugh. I, I liked that reference. I, I know about caged heat. Uh, it, it, it was funny. Lester has his typical bluster and bravado on, which seems to be just an act, but once Casey walks off, Lester pays a prisoner for bringing a 12-gauge to his room. Uh-oh, is Lester maybe, uh, the leader of a prison gang? Back on the outside, as they say, Chuck, Sarah, and Verbansky sneak onto the mysterious compound. When they hear shouting, they assume it's some sort of military training, but upon their approach, Chuck and Sarah realize it's actually nudist yoga. Chuck is pretty floored by this, but Sarah runs with it immediately. She just starts taking off her clothes. In response to Chuck's insecurities, Rubansky tells Chuck over the intercom that he's not much to look at. Welcome once again to the Friday night death slot where like, how do we get people to watch? Uh, I guess, Yvonne, we've kind of been just like teasing it this whole time, but maybe you should just get naked. Maybe that's how how we'll get eyeballs. I mean, yes, there's that. I always feel like there's no way around it. I feel like when they have people be actually like when they don't just like cut creatively and just have like the the like blurred blurred bars in front of I I feel like that's a coward's move. I'm not saying they should have showed everybody naked, but I I just feel like I I don't want to see the bars. I want to like I want it to either be like just like funny and ridiculous that like people keep having like large items in front of their um their nakedness. Uh-huh. And I, I, I was pres- just kind of surprised that they were just using the bars. I I, I was, I appreciated the bars. I was okay. surprised as well that they went for it. I thought it was a yeah. daring choice. You yeah. can't really, uh, 
hide much, it seems, with the bars. But I thought it was I did not expect it from Chuck. I was really kind of uh, not taken aback by it, but I was I was definitely surprised. That was an interesting choice. I, I agree that it was an interesting choice. I don't know if I liked it, but I agree. So Chuck and Sarah wander into the nudist yoga where they meet um, a woman who I I don't really think we ever get her name, but she's uh, the. Did, did you get her name? No, I don't. I don't think she has a name. Okay, yeah, I don't think she has a name either. Um, what she is is the leader of what she calls the Church of the Eternal Wind. Um, she seems nice and welcoming, but once Sarah and Chuck's backs are turned, she radios into some guards about potential intruders. Later, Chuck and Sarah are doing actually a pretty good job of getting information about the church, but Vermansky is impatient and demands they ask about Colin Davis right away. The unnamed nudist woman reveals that Colin now goes by Moon Meadow and is currently leading a drum circle. We cut back to the Bymore for a brief moment where Morgan comforts Jeff by comparing Lester to Posh Spice. They come up with a plan to make Lester jealous. Then we're right back at the nudist colony where Chuck and Sarah have a very loud conversation about being spies and what they do if they weren't spies. They're spies to anyone listening. They're spies. This, as it turns out, isn't a red flag for anyone. But what is, is that the guards find Chuck and Sarah's clothes and guns. Meanwhile, Chuck and Sarah join the drum circle to get to Moon Meadow, realizing that he's wearing a flash drive pendant around his neck, which must contain the omen. He's reluctant to give it to them, since it's against church policy to take off your pendant that reminds you of your previous life, but he explains that the flash drive holds his crowning achievement. Just then, the unnamed leader woman comes in and yells that they have intruders. Varansky snipes out the first wave of guards, while Chuck takes off after Moon Meadow. We have a pretty long sequence of the characters running through the woods. Sarah eventually confronts the guards who are chasing her, leaping out of a tree to knock them out. She's ambushed by the cult leader who explains that the members of the cult pay a lot of money for enlightenment and for protection and says, you pick the wrong cult, bitch, which leads us into, you guessed it, a sexy Sarah showdown. Literally, literally (laughs) a sexy Sarah showdown. It like... I'm glad they didn't have them both be naked during this fight. Like, I think that would have been offensive, but it Mm -hmm. was also like, why aren't they're at a nudist colony? Why are they all clothed now? They put on the robes because they were going to put on their sort of appropriative robes. I guess so. Although I was thinking like, oh, this is how Zachary Levi got his uh, role in the star was looking this good in these biblical looking robes. (laughs) Yeah. They uh they were like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna animate you um in those in those robes to a character that doesn't really actually look like you at all. <laughs> so as Sarah is having her sexy showdown, Chuck confronts uh Moon Meadow for, or Colin Davis for a decidedly less sexy showdown. Colin knows that Chuck wants the virus, but vowed never to give the virus to anyone, so he decides to rip the flash drive off of the necklace and swallow it. Chuck tries to get it out of him, but before he can, Colin uh, is tranquilized and Verbansky walks out from the woods. She asks where the flash drive is, and Chuck explains that he hid it inside of Colin. Sarah, who has made quick work of the cult leader, joins them, and together, the three of them try to move Colin's unconscious half-naked body out of the woods. Is this a terrible movie that I recently watched starring Dax Shepard and Will Arnett? Because let's go to prison. (laughs) You recently watched Let's Go to Prison? A few months ago, yeah. Uh, That sounds... Like a, um, dare I say, a punishment. Listener, if it was not clear from my joke, do not watch Let's Go to Prison. Is it a sequel to Let's Be Cops? Or is that just like (laughs) they have similar titles? No relation, just similar titles. have not seen Let's Be Cops, but cannot strongly, strongly recommend against Let's Go to Prison. I'm going to guess it's like it's offensive. As well as bad? It's, it's offensive. It's bad. It's okay. not funny. Okay. It's just everything that you don't want in a movie, it is. And I watched the whole thing and I was like, why did I waste my time watching that? All right. That would seems uh, too too late to be uh, making this. So it's decision time for Casey. He's kind of the bell of the prison ball because the lead inmate who is heavily implied to be the leader of a white supremacist gang or Sorry, I guess I'm kind of generalizing here. I'm assuming the scary large white man with a shaved head is in the white supremacist group, but I don't want to generalize. Maybe he's in a a different group, but that's the gang I'm assuming he's in. He asked Casey if Casey made a choice. Casey politely declines joining the gang 
And in return, the skinhead rallies literally all of the other inmates against Casey. So maybe he's actually like a very inclusive white supremacist. Like he's he seems to have the whole prison behind him. We have a very intense fight scene as Casey tries to fend off all of the inmates, but they quickly overpower him and pin him to a table. They're about to rip Casey limb from limb, kind of like me at the opening of the episode. <laughs> and um, but we hear a voice shout stop. We pan over and on the other side of the room is Lester, who threatens the lead skinhead and tells them to let go of Casey. This works for some reason, and the lead skinhead calls off all the other guards, or inmates, I should say. Casey is confused, and rightfully so. How is Lester doing this? Is this with his 12-gauge shotgun? No. Lester explains that he's using his nerd herd knowledge to bring cable and internet to each of the inmate cells. They know that he can unplug it as easily as he installed it, so nobody wants to fuck with Lester. Casey is amazed by this plan, and Lester confidently walks out of the uh, the rec hall that the, they're in. So, this brings up a few questions. None of the guards notice all of the inmates now have televisions and computers in their cells. Also, where did all the inmates get televisions and computers? It's a good question. Um, I don't have an answer for you. This seems just... like a pretty... These are all... Lester is in prison for attempted murder. Casey is also in prison for multiple homicides, yeah. but he doesn't tell Lester that. So this is like a serious prison. And it's apparently just kind of like a like a state college, I guess. Like everyone has their own little dorm room and they have their own little computers. And sounds like it's a pretty chill prison for people who are committing such terrible crimes. Well, maybe let's go to prison wasn't as accurate as you thought, but Chuck is. So I'm used to like Shawshank Redemption where they're like, oh, we're going to sneak in like a pack of cigarettes or we'll sneak in a book or uh, something or no, they're gonna, we'll get you a poster. In. Well, we, well, we do see iPads in this episode. Not not in prison, but we do see them at the Buy More. So, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. They got Buy More. They got Buy More stuff. I don't know. So that's what's going on. That's how Lester's don't doing it. Don't worry about it. Back at Castle, Colin is freaking out in a holding cell and Chuck says that they're just going to hold him. Until he shits out the flash drive. Yep. Uh, One of those situations, Colin goes on a rant about how he never should have created the virus in the first place. And how no matter how hard he tries to outrun the virus and his old life, it keeps creeping back up to him. Chuck says that he can relate because apparently he feels like this is an analogy for his own life. (laughs) Carmichael Industries being a computer virus that could cripple the the world's uh, IT infrastructure. Despite his better judgment... Colin trusts Chuck and begrudgingly tells him that there are two parts of the virus, the chip, which is in the flash drive, which is inside of him. And then there's a distribution device, which is still locked up at the collective, his old uh, cyber terrorist stomping grounds. I don't know if you mentioned that earlier. Chuck asks if he can get inside the collective, but Colin says that the best that he can do is really just show Chuck the schematics of the building and point out where the distribution device is being kept. Chuck also offers Colin a snack and Colin agrees to have some uh, jelly beans. Some popcorn flavored jelly beans. Sarah and Verbansky are listening to this from the main conference room in Castle, and Verbansky is indignant that it's taking Chuck so long to acquire the chip and suggests just cutting open Colin herself. Sarah notices that Verbansky seems to be a little on edge and asks if she wants to talk about it. And I readied my mute button because it seemed like we were going to enter some sacred girl talk. But fortunately, (laughs) I did not need to mute because Verbansky shoots Sarah down, not literally, just figuratively. I know we don't know Verbansky that well yet, and maybe shooting Sarah is something that she might do, So, but she doesn't do it here, just want to clarify. Instead, she tells Sarah to stop trying to be a psychologist. Sarah asks if it's about her feelings for Casey, and Verbansky insists that she does not want to talk about it, and that she and Sarah are nothing alike. She can't possibly be a spy and have feelings for another spy. Unheard of! Unheard of! Can't be done! Verbansky storms out of the room, and Sarah takes a sip of her coffee with a knowing smirk. Up in the Buy More, Morgan and Jeff reveal their master plan to get Lester back. They're going to video call Lester on his prison computer, which once again he has, and introduce him to his replacement, who is none other than the star of NBC's hit show community, Daniel Pudi. Lester is rightfully threatened by Daniel Pudi, who is also of Indian descent. In this case, Daniel Pudi's character is also a uh, Canadian Hindu-Jewish power ballad singer, which really gets under Lester's skin. He asks for a moment alone with Jeff on the video call, so Morgan and Daniel Pudi walk away. Away from the computer, Daniel Pudi, who is just an actor and not a real nerd herder, asks for his payment, which turns out is a brand new top-of-the-line iPad. 
Morgan reluctantly gives it to him, even though it comes out of his paycheck, and Daniel Pudi takes it and walks away. As he walks away, one of Daniel Pudi's community co-stars, Yvette Nicole Brown, pop- pops up behind Morgan as a green shirt and comments that Daniel Pudi is very attractive. What a fun cameo from the two of them. It was a fun cameo. I I hope they like didn't have to go too far out of their way to do it. I hope they were just like filming on the next lot or something. Mm-hmm. It's but possible. it was cute. It was nice. I I thought because we talked earlier because Daniel Pudi is like heavily referenced as like a guest star in the description for this episode. I thought uh, he was going to do a little more yeah. um, or be able to do a little more like he's a funny guy and he really didn't have too long of a scene. He made the most of it, though, and it was nice to see him. Checked it when doesn't usually do this, but I was kind of hoping that they were going to like break the fourth wall and have it be that his character was actually just the actor Daniel Pudi because it is an actor <laughs> and he yeah. doesn't really seem to care about what's going on in the buy more. So I thought yeah. it would have been a nice touch if it was actually just Daniel Pudi that they hired because they're well, they're in Burbank. They're, they're going to do it. They're going to break the fourth wall. I don't I don't think you remember this and I'm very excited for it to happen. Um, they're going br- to break the fourth wall in this season with in, in a similar scenario. Are you going to walk out on the screen? Is it going to be like... Yeah, it's going to be me. I'm in I'm in truck season five. That's, uh, that's where I went during our freshman year of college when I was away for a really long time. <laughs> Down in Castle, Chuck is bringing Colin his jelly beans, only to find out that Verbanski has already brought him some jelly beans. Whew, awkward situation, but a little kerfuffle. <laughs> she's hanging out with Colin, and I guess it looks like she's flirting. Uh, I didn't Colin, get that vibe, but um, you are the expert on flirting, of course. Aaron said that very sarcastically. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I think I'm pretty good at flirting. No, I'm, I'm terrible at flirting, <laughs> as indicated by the fact that I just said I think I'm pretty good at flirting in a weird voice. <laughs> it was very, it was very Larry David esque. <laughs> He's obviously an expert on flirting as well. You're in good company. He gets so many different women in Curb Your Enthusiasm. It's disturbing how many like beautiful women Larry David gets, which well, may um, be the it case. Is, it is a show that he he writes about himself and allows himself to be in. So <laughs> I don't know. Um, but I mean, he's a he's a good looking guy. Maybe he does get a lot of women and it's just autobiographical. I'm just saying that if I wrote a show about me and I was a character and I had the ability to cast myself against lots of beautiful women, I'd be down. So whether or not she's flirting, Colin tells Verbansky that the collective's only weakness could be ex- is to be exposed from the inside, which is appropriate because his own insides are about to get exposed. <laughs> uh, his, his little tummy is getting very weak. Turns out the jelly beans that Verbanski gave him were some kind of pro-nausea medication, which don't look like jelly beans at all, but apparently he was, like, eating them. They very clearly look like like evil Tums or something like that. <laughs> They're, like, the, that shape and consistency. So Colin pukes up everything that's inside of him, including the flash drive. Verbanski puts on a, like, latex glove and reaches into the bucket of puke, retrieves the flash drive, and leaves the holding cell patting Chuck on the shoulder with her puke hand. Later that night, Chuck is outside of the Collective, which is in a dark alleyway uh, somewhere downtown. He's dressed like a cool hacker, which is just to say that he's <laughs> dressed like he normally is, like yeah. when he's in casual mode. But except he he's a wearing beanie. a he's wearing a beanie, which yeah. is what apparently cool hackers wear. Verbanski and Sarah wish him luck and run off. He knocks on the door to the Collective, and a couple of armed guards answer. He says he's there for a job, and a sleazy man in a suit comes out and asks him if he knows what happens if he fails the new hire test. And Chuck swallows hard and says that he does. This is another unnamed leader type. We, he right. doesn't get a name ever either. <laughs> he's also unnamed. He, unclear if what exactly his, his role is with the collective. <laughs> if he's like, if the collective is working for him or if he's just kind of like Muscle. a hiring manager yeah. at the collective and he has some unconventional practices. Not really certain. I have a lot of a lot of remaining lingering questions about the collective, which I don't think we could answer in several hours of this podcast so i'm not gonna ask any of them (laughs) all right so chuck is led into a big room with a bunch of computers arranged in a circle as you do where his task is to compete in a hack off against the collective security expert freddie the challenge transfer one penny from the federal reserve luckily chuck has brought his thinking juice aka chardonnay with him he tells freddie that he used to be known as the piranha freddie is a little dubious but also a little impressed 
While Chuck regains his confidence and starts to enjoy himself, Sarah and Verbansky sneak in unchallenged. Out of nowhere, Verbansky says, fine, I love Casey, just stop grilling me. She admits that she's worried being in love means that she'll have to get married, have kids, and leave the spy life behind. She says she could never imagine a life other than the spy one, and asks Sarah if she could ever imagine herself doing anything else. That seems to be kind of a theme of this episode, although I didn't really understand that that was the theme of the episode until just now. Back in the hack-off, Chuck's showboating has cost him the challenge. Freddy has won. Chuck tries to save face by saying he hacked into the buy more and got everyone flat screens, but the leader guy is not impressed by this. And neither am I, frankly. Like, I mean, they don't know that Chuck owns the buy more, but like, I don't know. That's that's less impressive than the Federal Reserve. <laughs> yeah, he's just like, well, I actually didn't hack into the Federal Reserve, but I did get everyone free televisions it's like well i would like a television is a prize in a lot of like raffles and stuff like uh at your job or something and like i i wouldn't really want like i i like both my televisions i don't really like it would be kind of like a hindrance to get a new one (laughs) which is what the leader guy says he says we all have uh televisions already and we're gonna kill you Just as he's about to be killed, Chuck turns off the entire security system and bounces. Luckily, Verbansky and Sarah have also found the device they were looking for, and they all manage to escape. Back at the Bymore, Jeff has astutely realized that Morgan was only helping him and Lester because he feels guilty about a wrong he has not been able to right in one of his own friendships. I assumed this was going to be referring to Alex, but apparently it's referring to Casey, which, like... Was Casey mad at Morgan? I thought they patched it up and Casey asked Morgan to move back in with him. I thought everything was fine. Apparently, Morgan's just been, like, broken up inside that um, him and Casey were fighting, which was not something that I knew was happening, but Mm -hmm. um, go off, I guess. Anyway, Chuck and Sarah have the omen and the device they need, so they send Verbansky off into the shadows and wait for Decker in a parking garage. While they're waiting, they talk about the future of Carmichael Industries, Chuck thinks it might be good to switch out of the spy stuff and become a tech firm instead, but Sarah doesn't know what she'd do if this was the case. Which is fair. Valid question. Yeah, I honestly thought Chuck was about to say, oh, you'd be the secretary, and then I was going to, like, punch him in the face, but thankfully he does not say that. So Decker shows up and asks them to hand over the omen. Sarah confirms with him that once they do, Casey will go free, so they hand the virus over. But as it turns out, this whole thing was a setup. Decker says he got footage of Chuck and Sarah with the virus and is going to deploy it, then blame the whole thing on them. He's also going to have his man on the inside kill Casey. This is when Verbansky comes out of the shadows and grabs Decker by the collar, but he tells her killing him will only prove their guilt, so she backs off. He tells them, soon people will be hunting Chuck the way they hunted Bin Laden, which is the second Bin Laden reference this season, so Schwartz and Fedak are being pretty bold considering... Just when Decker starts to gloat, though, Verbansky reveals that she planted a bomb on him and just, like, blows him up. He's dead now. (laughs) And it was, like, it was honestly, like, satisfying, if only because he's annoying. Like, it wasn't like I'm satisfied. Like, finally, they pulled one over on Decker. I was like, thank God we don't have to deal with this anymore. It was very cathartic in that regard. I was like, wow, I didn't realize that they were going to kill him off so early in the season, but they do in such a spectacular way. Yeah. And there's it's kind of like lingers like there's time where he realizes that he's he's about to blow up. Yeah. And you're like, oh, this is good. He's getting to suffer in his last few moments. Mm -hmm. And then he blows up and then then he blows up and you're like, wow. Awesome. Decker's gone. I thought this Decker's was going to be gone. like, thank God. I had like a ton of Decker material that I wanted to work on uh, or like <laughs> that I was going to share for the rest of the season. But now I don't need to. Now yeah, I don't now need to don't use have it. To worry about it. Something I do have to worry about, though, is the first declassified scene ah! of the season. The declassified scene listeners. Uh, I have the the uh, Chuck DVD set for all the all the all the Chuck DVDs and they have the deleted scenes. So this is one of the deleted scenes from this episode. Casey is still in prison. He's walking down the hallway that he seems to like walking down. It's this big open hallway that um, there are no guards. And Casey like usually gets cornered by the the different inmates. He gets uh, cornered this time by the lead skinhead. And the skinhead tells him that he was just following orders from his boss before. That's why he didn't uh, kill Casey. Because he cooled off, not because of Lester, but because his real boss told him not to do anything. 
Casey asks who his boss is, and he says it doesn't matter and that he's received new orders. The skinhead takes out a handgun and aims it at Casey at the like from his waist when the door for the supply closet opens, knocking the skinhead against the wall and knocking him unconscious. Verbansky says, did you miss me? That's cute. I kind of like that. It was cute, but I, I don't know why they cut it out necessarily. Like, it might have yeah. been... Just like, a time thing. It could have been a time thing. It could have also, like, it was definitely a very kind of silly, goofy moment after yeah. they blew up Decker and now <laughs> Chuck and Sarah are on the run to have yeah. this weird little Looney Tunes-like gag. Yeah. Maybe they decided against, but that is the opening of that scene. Uh, Aaron, what happens seconds after this happens? Right, so seconds after this happens, back in prison, Verbansky is just explaining what happened to Casey. Since she killed a government agent, she says she has to disappear for a little while. She tells him, we could have been something. And he says, we still can be, which is kind of how I feel. I mean, like, I guess it's implied that she's going on the run for, like, a long time. But, like, Mm -hmm. they could still date. After a nice little kiss, she tells him they're going to break him out of prison. Who's they, you ask? Oh, just someone who cares as much about Casey as Verbansky does. Morgan. That's kind of weird, um, kind of a weird phrasing, but Joshua Gomez does look really natural in a guard uniform, and I just wanted to point that out. And then he proceeds to make love to Casey in the supply closet. Yeah, I mean, there was a reference, Jeff made a reference earlier to threesomes, so um, that could be something, like, uh, it's not something that I was really picking up on, but the show seems to want me to be picking up on that energy, so I don't know, All right, I I don't dislike it. So it's Casey, Morgan, and Verbansky? It's Casey and Morgan. And then I feel like Verbansky, it's it's like not a true love triangle because I don't think Morgan and Verbansky have a thing. Uh-huh. But like, I feel like they both kind of like take one for the team because they love Casey so much, you know? Right. Maybe that's the spinoff or sequel for Chuck would be like Casey and Morgan living in a van driving around the country as these kinds of adventurous lovers who are getting uh-huh. into all different kinds of threesomes. Mm-hmm. Okay, that, I'll, that I'll take be... it. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> you know, that's basically uh, <laughs> the essence of Chuck, right? Yeah. So um, people who are also driving, just not around the world, not around the country, but on those sweet, sweet L.A. highways uh, are Sarah and Chuck. Sarah asks Chuck what they're going to do now. Chuck says he was wrong about quitting the spy life. And right now they have to be the best spies they've ever been. And then there's like a cut over to Sarah's face where I couldn't really read what the emotion was supposed to be. I it, I wasn't sure if it was like she's happy because like she doesn't actually have to give up the spy life or if she's like sad. I, I wasn't really sure. It was a very complicated little performance for me, Vaughn. Maybe she's a little offended because she has been being the best spy that she could be this entire I mean, time. Absolutely. And now Chuck's fair. like, you've been phoning it in. I really need you to do more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> need you to protect my life more and do a better job at it. So that is Chuck versus the hack off. So I wanted to take a moment. And we haven't done this little segment in a while, but I thought it'd be fun for this episode to do some IMDb plot keywords. Ah. And I will read them to Aaron. Aaron, you decide if they are relevant enough to be listed on IMDb. Okay. All right. All right. So here we go. Tranquilizer dart. Yes. Shackles. No. When are there shackles? Nude calisthenics. Yeah, that one's that one definitely. Male nudity. Yeah. Male star appears nude. <laughs> yes. Pendant? Yeah, there's pendants. Power outage. I mean, that one's stretching it a little bit, but I guess it does happen. Foreplay. I don't think there's any foreplay. Everyone they just get right to business this week. Yeah. They don't even take off their clothes. Correct. There's no foreplay. (laughs) Pixelated nudity. All right. Yes. Prison visit. Yes. Chardonnay. Yep. Thinking juice. Female nudity. Definitely. Playing a bongo. I, I mean, I don't know if it was a bongo specifically, but sure. Female star appears nude. Absolutely. Singing the Canadian national anthem in French. <laughs> yes, that one. Yes. Kissing. Yeah, there's some kissing. But they really just kind of get right to it, you know. There's not <laughs> not a lot of it. And uh-huh. the last one is male objectification. I mean, yes. I don't. I don't know. I don't really feel like Zachary Levi was nearly as objectified as Yvonne is throughout. But uh, 
He's naked, so I guess. But Verbanski objectifies him to comment that he doesn't have much to, to I guess show, that's right? true. Yeah, sure. Okay. Well, those are the IMDb keywords for this episode. All right. That was yeah. They weren't they weren't awful. I don't. I still don't know about the shackles though. Uh, I think the something that I just realized there was no. Now that none of the characters have the intersect at the moment, there was no flashing in this episode at all. Like not that's true. There was naked people who were flashing. If you know that definition <laughs> of flashing, <laughs> yeah. But uh, there wasn't actually any kind of intersect action this week, which is kind of different. That's mm-hmm. true. Something that's not different, something that happens all the time, is Chuck Mary Kill, where we take one part of this episode that we'd like to marry and one part of this episode that we'd like to kill, maybe with an explosive. Um, a lot of these episodes are ending with really kind of crazy, gruesome deaths because we have Decker dying in an explosion. The week before was um, the uh, the Viper assassin and her all of her friends being murdered or mowed down by Casey. It's kind of a that's true. Yep, something that I've noticed. Yeah, it's they're really they're not as concerned about what they're showing. Friday night, they know no one's watching, so they can do whatever they want. Yeah, they can be naked. They can blow people up. (laughs) It's practically an HBO show at this point. (laughs) Yep. Aaron, what would you like to marry this week? I would like to marry uh, Adam Baldwin and Carrie Ann Moss's performances um, Ah. as as young lovers or middle aged lovers, whatever you want to call them. Your contemporaries. my contemporaries. Well, Adam Baldwin is definitely not my contemporary. He is more of a dad or even a granddad type figure, maybe an uncle. But Carrie Ann Moss is more of like a younger sister to you. Yeah, mm-hmm, exactly. Um, so, yeah, I thought that their romance is like one of the bright spots of the show, which is like it's. It's a little bit like, I mean, it's just like the end of the scene, like the end of the series. It's just kind of like plug and play like this, this thing that like shouldn't, shouldn't work really. But they're like such like, and like, we should have heard about her before, like if she was so important that they're going to end up together. But like, it's so cute that I don't really mind that. Um, And I just love their like chemistry. They have really good chemistry together where they're like cute and awkward and like that's not really something that Casey has uh, been allowed to be like he he doesn't have really the awkwardness that Chuck and sometimes Sarah has and mm. I really like seeing that side of him and I think Ella Adam Baldwin does that well um and Carrie Ann Moss is just lovely um and she's she's doing a great job too sounds like uh you want to be the uh the third wheel in that little threesome I mean I don't I don't know if that's true, because I, I mean, I, uh, Adam Baldwin is, of course, my my uh, father or grandfather type figure. And Carrie Ann Moss is like my sister type figure. So I don't know if I would feel comfortable okay, um, yeah. entering their relationship, sure, but I'm right. happy about it. OK, that's what, good. what is your Mary? Speaking of relationships, we are entering. <laughs> I am entering a relationship with uh, the, the opening of this episode, the, ah. the beginning we didn't dwell too much on it, but it, the opening scene is visiting hours of the prison. And I thought that both Casey and Lester were both really funny. Um, the performances by the actors, but then also the writing was really good. Um, there's a line, there's two lines that Lester said that made me laugh out loud, which were um, they, Jeff and Morgan are trying to get Lester to admit to doing like what he did. And Lester says, I admit it. I tried to poison you to keep you subordinate, which is just <laughs> such a, scary line but he says yeah. it so casually it's mm-hmm. just very funny mm-hmm. um and then lester goes on to say that he can't promise that he won't try to poison jeff again yeah so he just is gonna stay in prison which i thought was just really dark and really funny so i i appreciated the opening of the episode casey was fun, funny as well it was cool seeing the characters in this different setting i liked how they had it you know like you have chuck sarah and casey there obviously and then the jeff morgan and lester uh, like reflecting that kind of parallel. I yeah. thought it was good. I thought it started the episode off on the uh, the right foot for me this week. Great. And then we have our kills. Aaron, what would you like to kill and then uh, I guess go undercover and run away and live life on the lamb? Um, so I think I've had this kill before, maybe even last week or the week before. We got a um, serial killer! <laughs> beep, 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 beep. Well, I mean, I don't know. I don't know that it would be a serial killer if I'm killing the same thing twice. 
We have an ineffective killer. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. Um, I still, I mean, like it's it's redundant now because he's dead, but I'm just not into Decker. I think they're like once again, I was happy that he was gone. Like, I was glad that he was killed because I am annoyed by him and don't have to deal with him, but like his kind of like shit-eating vibe where he's just like Haha, ha, I'm Decker and I'm one step ahead and I like laugh and like I I don't know what his deal is and I don't like I don't care about him and I'm glad that he's gone. So like that and then like I I wasn't a huge fan of the nudist thing. I thought like that was a little cheap. Mm. It's fine. I'm surprised honestly that Chuck hasn't gone there before. It seems like a well that a lot of shows um of this type will go to um but it was it was kind of just like they didn't really use it for anything it was just kind of like shock value of like ah it's a nudist colony that's funny but it mm. wasn't really like they didn't i like i can't think of any good way that they would have used it that would have been like made it better um but it just seems like they used that for like a five minute sequence and then like never referenced it again. It wasn't really like it wasn't even, it didn't even make it into the title. Like mm-hmm. that's, I don't know. Like they could have, it could have been called like Chuck versus the, um, I don't know. Chuck versus the chest hair or something. Yeah. The, because the title the hack off sounds like it's going to be a bigger deal and i guess it is technically the climax of the episode but i feel like it still wasn't that it didn't really feel like it had the weight of a climax that you could really define the episode by yeah Mm -hmm. i agree so i it just felt a little bit like this episode i mean we're we're going a little bit into my scooter score here but it felt like Mm -hmm. this episode was like disconnected set pieces that none of them were entirely satisfying in themselves except for the very satisfying love sequences between Casey and Verbansky. Nice. All right. What, are, what is your kill? <laughs> uh, I guess I'm tired of Chuck being like, I don't know if I want to be a spy. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's fair. It's been five seasons. We get a Chuck. I know that this is, a, there's an element of reality to this because I'm sure, and Aaron could probably vouch for this. I probably complain about the same three <laughs> things over and over again in my life. So I understand, but come on, we've done five seasons of this. I was like, now he's regretting Carmichael Industries. And it was just like, I don't know. I I didn't care about it, I guess. Yeah. Something I do care about, though, is the scooter scale and all those corn dogs. I care about each and every one of them. I think <laughs> about right before I go to bed every night, I count corn dogs in my head. Every corn dog that we've ever handed out over the course of Go Chuck Yourself, they I picture them leaping over the buy more in my mind. And then I drift off to, to sleepy land. And that's how I fall asleep every night. So, Aaron, how many corn dogs are you adding to my sleep corn dog parade? <laughs> um, I'm gonna add three. Okay. I thought that this episode was fine, um, but like I said already, like I thought that it was just kind of like they they took a they took a bunch of like bits out of a out of a hat and we're like, okay, we're gonna like, this episode is going to have these three things. And then they didn't really like connect those three things in the way that the best episodes of Chuck seem to do. Like there wasn't like, technically there is a line between like, there is a line to nudist colony or like from, from hacking organization to nudist colony back to hacking organization. But like, it didn't really feel super connected and it didn't feel like either of them had the time that I would have liked for them to become like significant and important and like engaging for me. Um, They weren't really at the nudist colony long enough for it to be like a a fun gag. And also like, again, they weren't even like, it wasn't really even a real nudist colony. Like they just showed like 10 seconds and then like everybody puts on robes, which I've never been to a nudist colony, but I think they're naked the whole time. And I was offended that they uh, couldn't commit to it. Um, I really do like the Romansky and Casey relationship. I thought that, um, was the, uh, wind that this episode was riding on as if it were a, a graceful kite. Um, but I agree that Chuck's like the, the thing of like Sarah, not like 
it's it's believable and it's a reasonable struggle that Sarah doesn't know what she'd be without a spy or without being a spy. But we've we've seen that before. We've seen Chuck struggle with whether he wants to be a spy. Um, that just it didn't feel like they had a lot to do. Um, so it's you know it was it was fine. I thought there was some there was like one thing I really liked, and then the rest I was just kind of neutral on. Mm-hmm. So three corn dogs for me. What about you? So I will be adding four corn dogs wow. to my sleep corn dog parade. I don't know if this is a good episode of Chuck, but I enjoyed it nonetheless. It was a very weird episode and it had a lot of unusual elements to it, like Casey and Lester being in prison, Chuck and Sarah finding a nudist colony, cameos from the stars of Community, uh, one of the characters puking into a bucket. Um, I, I found it all to be very charming for some reason. Sure, the stuff Chuck questioning his purpose and the spy life is stale at this point, but I really like Chuck's joy at drinking white wine and hacking. I felt like he found something that he used to enjoy. I also appreciated that touch because I feel like obviously there's a lot of things that you should not do intoxicated, but I appreciated that Chuck has a uh, likes white wine and thinks that it makes him better at hacking. I felt like that was a very humanizing, cool trait. I also enjoyed the Verbansky. Uh, the Verbansky. I enjoyed Verbansky coming to terms with her feelings for Casey and getting to become a central part of the team to help break him out of the prison. I thought it was cool that she like got swapped in as the sniper and was going on a mission with them and kind of like filled in for Casey while he was in jail. And uh, I appreciate that she blew up Decker. That was that felt really nice to watch. So I think this episode is really ridiculous in a lot of ways, but it was also a lot of fun for me. So four corn dogs. That's great. I'm happy that you enjoyed it so much. I think we've been kind of flip-flopping this this season. We've been we very uh, in tune on our marries and kills, but on our scores, different. That does summarize how things have been going. <laughs> something else that summarizes how things have been going is lesson of the week. This week, I learned something I always suspected to be true, which is that Zach and Yvonne look good naked. <laughs> um... I learned that Swordfish is apparently about hackers. I always thought it was about like a a fishing boat or kind of like a a fatal attraction kind of thing. You were were talking about Chuck versus the Marlin? No, 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 no. The the film Swordfish, which is apparently based on Chuck. About hackers. Does that have Halle Berry in it? So in addition to No Time for Die, you have seen... No Time to Die, excuse me. Sorry, what did I say? You said no time for die, which is a, a diff- <laughs> totally different thing. No. Swordfish. It has it has Hugh Jackman, John Travolta, and Halle Berry. Oh, I feel like I saw that on like FX on cable or something growing yeah, up. Yeah, it's a it's like a '90s film, and it, I thought it was like a Fatal Attraction kind of thing, but it is about hackers, which is something I learned from this episode, which is what the assignment was. No time for die. Let me just pitch that real quick. <laughs> Is it is it about like dye like uh like hair dye like it's like a um timed hair dyeing competition? Uh, close. I'm. It's something with like a guy. It, maybe he inherits them somehow, but he comes into possession of a lot of plain white shirts, and ah. there's something that comes like there's going to be like a Woodstock revival or something okay, in mm-hmm. his town, mm-hmm. and so he, in order to save his family farm. He needs to make money, and to do that, he's going to try to sell tie-dye t-shirts. Okay. But there's a lot of people coming, and there's a lot of shirts, but there's no time for dye. So what's he going to do? How's he going to tie-dye these shirts? How's he going to solve this problem? <laughs> I bet I bet our listeners are at the edge of their seats wondering. I know I am. <laughs> Would you say that that movie sounds better or worse than No Time to Die? Probably about the same. <laughs> about the same? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a movie about a man who's struggling to tie-dye t-shirts is roughly as good as a James Bond movie. I don't know, that could be interesting. I guess it would be interesting. Uh, probably not, but could be. Um, I hope this episode was interesting. It probably wasn't, but one can hope. <laughs> my name is Chris Gillespie, reminding you that food is sexy. And my name is Erin Arata, reminding you that anything is possible. Even tie-dyeing a lot of shirts. And to go check out uh, our sponsor for the show... No time to die, which is in theaters now. Don't it's not on streaming yet. Don't it's not doing any of that. Like you can, it's on Disney Plus, but you got to pay fifty dollars to watch it. Or is it on Disney Plus? It's not. That's it's oh, okay. not. All right, it's not on right. HBO Max. The only way to I see just this got movie. Disney Plus. Oh wow! Congratulations. I, mean, I had it already, but I got it for free with my. I upgraded my phone plan. Oh, 
So they were fine with giving you free. How long do you have Disney Plus for? Just indefinitely. You have Disney Plus forever because you've got a new phone plan? Yeah. All right. Well, I got to learn more about that. So I'm going to uh, turn <laughs> off the mic now. Thanks for listening. As always, a big thanks to the artist Hadakoa and the fine folks at freemusicarchive.org for providing us with our theme song, Warm Up. If you want to drop us a line, you can reach us at gocheckyourselfpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to like and subscribe to Go Check Yourself on your preferred podcast platform. New episodes come out every Monday morning and you do not want to miss a new episode. Thanks again. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.